0: Welcome to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, where we take your questions from Sunday's teachings in order to form a dialogue about the scriptures and what God is teaching each and every one of us. Welcome back to the Beyond the Sermon podcast here. Today is Sunday, February 13th and uh, and this morning we were in in Acts chapter 15 looking at verses 36 through 16:5 really really centered in that last portion of Acts chapter 15 as we talked about the conflict between Paul and Barnabas and their 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 eventual conclusion there which really is a peaceful resolution but results in the fracture of their ministry partnership they uh, agree to disagree about john mark and they they go separate ways paul takes silas and eventually picks up timothy on his on on his next missionary journey and then and Barnabas takes John Mark and goes goes back to Cyprus and as we as we found out in the end of the passage or the or the end of the sermon the teaching time you know uh, John Mark was eventually restored back into Paul's ministry in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 11 Paul even says that Mark John Mark it was useful he wanted he wanted John Mark to be sent to Paul, only Luke was with him at this point, and so he wanted John Mark to come and join him because John Mark was was useful for his ministry. So he's being he's being he will eventually be reconciled into ministry partnership with Paul. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some time to heal from the wound, the hurt that was occurred or that happened. Yeah, it, when when John Mark abandoned Barnabas and Paul and company in Pamphylia, as we read about that in Acts chapter in Acts chapter fourteen, and so a lot of great questions that came out of the text and the sermon time today. I think you know the reality here is that we we walk in and through and around conflict. Uh, so often in our lives that that I think as we as we think about how do we resolve this how do we how how do we work through this in a healthy and God honoring way it just spurs a lot up in us and so I love I love that we've got lots of great questions here this morning and just a chance to continue as we say have a dialogue around the scriptures uh, because we believe that they're authoritative and, and and powerful to transform our lives as they transform our hearts and transform our minds they transform the way that we live. So let's just jump into the questions here this morning. The first question is about circumcision, actually. Uh, So the question says, we just talked about circumcision uh, and how it was not required in the church. Uh, So why does Paul circumcise Timothy? So in Acts chapter 16, picks up there in verses one through five, he picks up Timothy and Luke tells us Timothy's mom is Jewish and his dad is Greek. So he hasn't been circumcised yet. And where they're going to go, where they're they're heading to, it it has a high uh, Jewish population. And so out of deference to the Jewish believers so that they will listen to Paul and Timothy. Paul knows that culturally speaking, Timothy needs to lay that right down, get circumcised so that it won't be a hindrance for the gospel to be heard. What we settled or what was settled in Acts chapter 15 is that circumcision and really circumcision is just kind of this big um, big sort of billboard or, 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 or clausal statement for works of the law. Um, those aren't required for salvation right? We are not saved by works, we're saved by grace through faith. And so um, so while Timothy doesn't need to be circumcised, it's not a salvific issue, Paul certainly understands here, culturally speaking, that it would be better for Timothy to be circumcised so that the gospel will be heard when they are going into these new regions and these new places, because there's such a strong Jewish population there. And it would be kind of like, um, you know, today, if I, if I knew that—you um, that I was going into, we was going to be a missionary uh, in, into a context or a culture that that it would say, you know, men should not have long hair, right? Then I, and I have long hair, I would, I, it would be wise for me to cut my long hair, uh, right? So that it wouldn't be a hindrance to the gospel, right? We, we can think of all kinds of different uh, examples to that, but we do that in our lives where we give deference to other people, uh, not because it's a salvific issue, uh, but because we want to make sure that the gospel isn't Hindered in their lives, so that's why we see Paul having Timothy circumcised. It's not a salvation issue. It's not even a doctrinal issue. It's a cultural thing, and he wants the gospel to flourish. And he's teaching Timothy a really a, a, a wise uh, pastoral and and really a ministry or missiological lesson here of of deference to culture, where it's not a salvific or a theological uh, requirement. Uh, so that that's a great, just a great question here. Another another one that comes up says this is if it's okay to disagree and move forward. How do you discern when it's time to peacefully move forward without feeling like you gave up on working it out? That's a phenomenal question, right? And I think, I think part of it here is what the text doesn't give us. What Luke doesn't give us is all the nitty gritty of, of how long this conversation took between Paul and Barnabas. And, and, and so we don't know we, what we can certainly Uh, Surmised from the text, we know that the note in in, at the beginning of the passage in 36, Luke tells us after after some days, which is just a a, a transition phrase that, you know, the original readers would have understood. Oh, they're in Antioch. They're wintering Antioch. They're there for several months. They've been encouraging the believers. That work has come to a close. and, And so now they're beginning spring is coming and they're beginning to plan for what's next. And really, the, dis- the, the the fracture and the the disagreement and the conflict comes around who is going to be on their team. Um, and so I think it's safe for us to assume, right? Even though Luke doesn't come out and say it, as we kind of understand the context, they're there for several months, I would be I'd be hard pressed. For this to, for us to see here and, and assume that this is just a once and done conversation between these guys, I don't think so. I think they're they're working on this for for months on hand. And in fact, you know, all all the scholars that I've engaged it with and reading on this passage, no one no one makes the argument that this was a once and done uh, conversation. And in fact, frankly, I'm pretty sure they've been talking about it since it happened in, in chapter 14. Right? And they've got a long journey from central Turkey uh, down to. You know, Antioch and Syria, and then to uh, and then back to Jerusalem is for the Council of uh, of Jerusalem in Acts chapter fifteen. I'm pretty sure this has come up multiple times, right? If I know myself, and if I know my experience, and I can I can safely begin to uh, to put that into their experience without making it oh Luke tells us this or those kind of things. I'm pretty sure that this has been a, a long range discussion. And I, I think, I think w- where we can come to it to say, how can we know that we've we've worked at this long enough that the only peaceful resolution is to go in a different direction, uh, right? is to uh, love each other, support each other, but say, hey, you know what, we've got to go on separate paths um, and, and know confidently that we gave it enough time, I, I think it's to the point where we can we can confidently say, we understand what the actual central issue is, right? Are we are we are we actually talking about the same thing? Have we boiled the conflict down? Do we have clarity on it? And and really, do we just understand that there's a, a we have a fundamental disagreement on it, you know? And, and so I think I think as we work through that, um, it, you know, as long as we can get to the place where we have clarity on the conflict, then I think I think that's where we can go. Okay, you're talking about this, and you see it this way. And I'm talking about this, and I see it that way, and we know that those two perspectives are probably really never going to jive together. Um, but we, but we, you know, but we've given it all that we can give it. We, we've had good conversations. We've been respectful. Um, all of that kind of stuff around it. I think then you can just safely say, "Hey, it's okay. It's okay for us to go in different in different directions." But I, I think again, what we should not be uh, drawn to here, or or, uh, or or that we should be uh, misled here, is by it feels like in the text that it's a really quick interaction. I just I just don't see that. Uh, it, you know, from both Luke's note in verse 36, after some days, it's been a period of months that they've been Antioch, and you just know that if it was this heartbreaking, if it was that hurtful to Paul. You just know that they had to talk about it, you know, several times since then. And why does Barnabas go to bat for John Mark? Obviously, he's talked about it with John Mark. So you know that if Barnabas has gone to bat for John Mark and he's he's heard about it from him, this has been a series of, of, of conversations. But the issue has been distilled down to the single Conflict and that is around John Marks, um, you know, defecting, and and so he when he abandoned them as they were on their way to Central Turkey, um, and to 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 Antioch and Pisidia, um, I think again, you know, it's 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 not a once and done conversation. So for us, I think we can safely say, you know, if we if we've talked it through, we understand the main issue at hand, and we're just we're just simply going to come to a place where we go. We're just never going to agree on that. We're never going to see it the same way. That's when we can peacefully say uh, that we know that we can move forward uh, to, you know, in different directions. We can move forward knowing that we've done all that we've done or what we could do and respecting one another in ministry and respecting one another in the, under the bonds of peace that we are united under Christ and just say, you know what, brothers or sister, it's time for us to go in a different direction. We're never going to see it the same way, All right? We could have this argument about, about worship, you know. Uh, one, one brother or sister says this style is is most is most important. Another brother or sister says this style is most important or most, you know, most correct, most meaningful. And we can just say, you know what, we're not going to see it the same way. And, and, and it's okay. We're in freedom in Christ we're going to, we have freedom uh, to go in different directions and yet support and love one another. Um, I've even seen missionaries, you know, where they have different missiological philosophies, different philosophies, how to do missions. And you're going to say, well, you know, we're just never going to see uh, eye to eye on this. We, we agree in the big call of the, the big ethos mission, the, the great commission that we're to go, we're, we're to go carry the gospel, but how we're going to do it, we just see it differently. And we're just going to have to agree to disagree and move forward. But that's often after long conversations. I think the challenge here, again, is how do we, you know, this is just hard work. This is hard work. And so another question that comes up that points at that or scratches at that idea, that, that feeling that this conflict resolution is just hard work, is how do we resolve doctrinal conflict when the modern church acquiesces to cultural pressures on issues like sexuality? Here's reference in, in, in the question. Well, I, I, think, I think what we have to do in this case is that we have to— uh, w- what's required here is that when we you know when we, when we think the church is acquiescing and, and, and in some cases it has right uh, to cultural pressures uh, on on sexuality or uh, we could we could name a whole bunch of other issues but obviously this is an issue that is at the very top of the list in our current context and, and so, One, what we need to do as believers is we need to make sure that our position is the historically orthodox position of the church and is biblically centered, right? We need to make sure that our position isn't more culturally centered than it is biblically centered, Um, you know, and, and so it should cause us to pause and to reflect and to say, is there anything that I'm bringing to this that isn't really biblically centered but is more culturally influenced? You know, so an example of that in my own life, I believe, I believe in, um, I would say I'm a it, there's a, two theological positions here. One's called egalitarian, where it says, you know, men and women are completely equal. There's no no difference in role or any of that. Um, and then one says complementarian, where men and women are equal uh, in personhood, but there are role differences that are assigned by God. One of those role differences is about pastor, uh, leader, elder, uh, and it's male exclusive, right? Now, I, I've heard all kinds of arguments on both, on both sides. Um, I land, as I read the scriptures, as a complementarian. Okay. Um, so I believe that that both Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, but there's clear role differences in in the Garden pre sin pre fall. Eve is Eve is called uh, a helpmate, which doesn't translate well in English, but in Hebrew it's azer, and it's this beautiful word because the only other the only time it's used in the Old Testament is to describe God Himself, Yahweh. Yahweh is Israel's helpmate. Adam never gets that role assigned to him. He's never called, uh, the, the Hebrew word "azer" is never used for him or to describe him in any way in Genesis. And so it's actually, it's a beautiful passage when we talk about the importance of, of women in the kingdom of God. Uh, but there's a clear role difference, right? Between Adam and Eve. Now I land there biblically, um, but you know, as I've made my way into that position and through that position, there were a lot of culturally centered arguments uh, that were centered for complementarianism. And as I chewed through the scriptures, I had to go, Yeah, no, that's that's actually not a biblical argument. Um, that's a cultural argument that you're ascribing to a theological position, and so I needed to be careful to go, okay, uh, even on my side, the side that would, you know, the, my theological tribe there. Uh, I'm going. That's that's not a really great argument. In fact, it's not a biblical argument. It's not in the text. It's not in the scriptures. We need to stay centered on the scriptures. So I, I think for those of us that are you are looking at it, you're going, okay, the church has acquiesced. They've they've bent to. Well, let's look at our own theological positions and go, is there anything that we are bringing to the party that isn't helpful, that might be more influenced by culture than it is by the scriptures, right? So it's a chance for us to check our own hearts. Um, And and then secondly, I think when we have friends or family members or people that we're interacting that are in those streams of theology or in those denominations that we might say have acquiesced or bent to uh, more cultural uh, satisfying positions— um, we, we just need to we need to remember that salvation is a gift of grace. And and while God wants us to flourish and when we follow God and his law and his and his precepts and his truth in every area of our lives, and that includes our sexuality, uh, but it's it's every area of our lives and and so um, we, we know that we flourish in that, but we also have to come to it with understanding. Salvation is a gift of grace. It's not because I've got this issue or that issue theologically correct or or or, or together um, that I've earned God's love, right? So, so I think as we as we interact with those uh, those theological streams or denomination or friends that are in those denominations, we have to remember, you know what? The the main thing is is a, is salvation is a gift of grace through Jesus. His his atonement on the cross is the only thing that, that pays our way uh, towards uh, restoration with the Father. And, and so we need to make sure that we are not elevating things that uh, aren't required for salvation, right? Works that aren't required for salvation. And then realizing, you know what? In my era, in my life, whatever sin is in my life, it, it's, it's the Holy Spirit and Jesus that's doing work in me, and I'm a work in progress. And so I think you know, again, if you want to have a pure theological robust conversation, that's fine. But let's, you know, but more than that, let's, uh, let's be walking graciously with one another. And when the open doors are there to talk about biblical truth, talk about it, but talk about it in a winsome way that is bathed in grace and not elevating secondary things. To primary things, so I think that's the warning for us. In it, what we call ourselves here at Christ Community, we are an orthodox uh, b- uh, group of Christians, right? We we believe the fundamental things. That's what orthodoxy means. So we we stand historically with the church uh, on on issues of sanctity of human life, sexuality, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we it's rooted in the scriptures there. So I think I think that's part of it, right? So how do we how do we resolve those issues? It's it's Bathing it in grace, uh, because salvation is bathed in grace. But also, but also, um, you know, holding holding to what the scriptures actually saying, making sure that we're checking ourselves that we're not more influenced culturally than we are biblically. Uh, and switching gears here, and this this next question comes in, and it talks about or it asks, you know, why are why is only Silas and Paul commended? The text seems to imply that Barnabas and Mark are not affirmed by the brothers. Um, I've heard that in the past. You know, I think it's a, it's what we need to be careful of when we're reading the scriptures is, you know, we, we, we want to read and try to understand the context and all of those things. And sometimes, you know, as, as, as you've heard, we've, as I've preached, there's, there's some things under the waterline that will, we can peel out or we can pull out, or we can read between the lines of the text and go, oh, okay, this, this, this phrase means this, or, or, or this, this is a, a note to their location or all that kind of stuff. And sometimes, it doesn't. There's just nothing, there's nothing to pull between the lines. And I think this is actually one of those questions that we need to be careful of, that we're, we might be pulling between the lines a little bit more than what Luke was intending to say. I, I've heard it preached this way. Um, but honestly, I just, I don't, I don't know if that's, if that's, tr- if it's true. Did, did Was Luke just simply describing the situation or is he prescribing something else onto Barnabas and um, and John Mark? I don't know. Uh, what we get is that Luke is staying with Paul, right? And so, did Barnabas and uh, and John Mark already leave? Did they already leave before Paul and uh, and Silas left? If so, well, then there's nobody to commend them, right? Um, or did they stay there longer and 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 Barnabas and um, Excuse me. Paul and Silas and Luke have already moved on. So Barnabas. So Luke, is the author of, of Acts, and he's recording it. He is no. He doesn't know if the brothers, uh, you know, commended, uh, Paul, uh, Barnabas and John Mark on their way. Right. Luke doesn't give us those details, and there's nowhere in the text that really speaks to that. And so, you know, even in my in my research and digging here, and the scholarly influence, um, no one no one seemed to make a big deal of that. Right. That Barnabas. And John Mark didn't get sent off or commended by the brothers— um, th- there could be there could be something there, but there's just not enough for us, I think, to put really any theological uh, stock into that. And so we just we just need to be we want to be careful of what's Luke describing and what is Luke prescribing. Right? Is the text descriptive or prescriptive? I think it's a great question. But but then again, you know, it's why when we when we looked at the end, we said you know well, John Mark eventually comes back into the fold of fellowship with Paul and is under his ministry team, and and Paul still thinks the world of Barnabas when he writes to the church in. in In Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he's describing somebody that he thinks admirably of. And that description of him is after this incident. So if Paul hasn't thrown those guys under the bus, um, we probably shouldn't. Do that as well, and that's why I just I wanted to be cautious here this morning not to pull the rug out from Barnabas and and John Mark. I think we could do that, um, but again, Barnabas has as much of a valid uh, v- you know view on what's happened that as Paul does here. He's a son of encouragement. He spent time with his cousin, John Mark is his cousin. He's heard his heart out, and he's advocating for him. And so, um, so I think I think sometimes you know when we there's interesting things in the text, and but we just have to be we have to be careful sometimes to go if there's not enough there. <laughs> If there's not enough there. Uh, let's not read into something too much. And what's the danger of that? Well, the danger can be well we're, we're pulling out a rug on, under some guy that, that it's just not fair. And uh, and if Paul doesn't do that later, we probably shouldn't do that now. Uh, but it's a great question because it kind of it kind of comes into the whole into the whole passage here uh, today. This next question is referencing about, uh, there's actually got two questions about Matthew chapter 18 when Jesus talks about solving conflict uh, between, between the brothers uh, and between, between believers. And so this question comes in, think about Matthew 18, 15 to 16. Those are the verses I quoted in the, te- in the, in the sermon today. What about verse 17? What is the difference in treatment? Considering all uh, considering all are to be respected and loved, and we're still called to forgive, how would that change, right? So here's in Matthew chapter 18, uh, we, we looked at through verse 16, but 17 continues, and it's this continuation of the escalation plan, okay? And, and so let me just read it here really quickly. Matthew chapter 18, uh, verse 17. So he says, if he refuses, this is after you've brought two or three additional witnesses. If he refuses to listen to the witnesses, tell it to the church as a whole. And if he refuses to listen to the church as a whole, let him be to you as a gentile and a tax collector, right? So this is the final part of the escalation plan for Jesus. And what he's saying here is that if this if this person is not willing to repent of their sin or the hurt that they caused in the community, then then and they're not willing to listen to the two or three witnesses that have come come with you because they didn't listen to you in the first place. Well, now they're not listening to the two or three witnesses. Well, now we got to escalate it to the to the body of believers, to the community of believers. And if they don't listen to the community of believers, well then they're not they're not interested, right? they're They're not interested in following God in righteousness. And so we have to, you know Jesus says, let him let him go. Let him be as a Gentile, let him be as a tax collector here in the gospels. obviously, these are Gentiles and tax collectors are people that were really, really not welcome into Jewish society. okay. And, and so this is what Jesus is saying. He goes, if, if brothers not willing to repent, Even after you've come to them, even after witnesses have come to him, even after the whole body of believers, the church has come to them, then then it's just time to to cut it loose, right? This conflict isn't going to be solved. And until that brother or sister comes back and and comes to their senses, you know, the Holy Spirit works on them and they realize what's going on, until they're willing and ready to repent, we're just, just, you know, opening that wound over and over again. And so, you know, I think what what that's really what Jesus is showing us. You know, there is again, it's that it's that escalation plan, and it's not that's not the ideal. We don't want to get to that place. We don't want to get to where we have to bring somebody uh, in front of the body of believers, and, and you go, hey, here, here, let me lay it all out for you, right? <laughs> uh, instead, we want it. We want to have that. You know, where we are quick to repent and quick. Uh, to forgive. This other question that comes in about the same, you know, the same, uh, the same question there in Matthew chapter 18, um, ask, you know, have, have I ever had to, uh, you know, do this or enact that policy, right? Is this the last step of disagreement? And, And I think, um, yes, it is the last step of agreement. It is disagreement. It is the last step of escalation in Jesus's model. Um, and I think we have to be really careful here. It also is, you know, in the context of, of significant, grievous public sin, right? Um, and it is especially in the in the church of how we've seen it is for those who are in leadership, right? Those who are in leadership. And um, and, and so yes, I actually have had to walk through this. We had an elder at a at a church that I was at uh, previously, and just in the end was not was not listening to sound counsel good wiz, good you know wisdom and um, and we actually had to in front of the church uh, because that was the process in our bylaws and I think the biblical process here because you know a couple you know one brother went to him uh, brought a few more brothers <laughs> that were involved in the situation um, just not listening to those godly godly brothers and and then you go, okay, well, you're an elder. You're supposed to be a leader, a pastoral leader in this church. And, and you can't be leading with that kind of sin in your life. This open, open, festering conflict and anger issue uh, was going on. And, and so he had to be dismissed as an elder, which is which was uh, in front of the church. And it was a church process. Um, unfortunately, you know, that, that was hurtful. That was painful. Uh, but it was because this brother was not willing to, to come and to own his sin and repent of it. Now, it took years. But eventually his brother did Come back, and he did apologize and repent, and was restored—not um, to fellowship in that church because he just they had moved on to another church, but restored uh, with with those other brothers that he had he had grieved. Um, so again, I think Jesus is giving us an escalation plan. Uh, the ideal is that when a brother or sister comes to us, we listen and we're quick to repent or forgive, right? We solve it there, and we're and we're willing to work through that together. Um, we don't want to get to that 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 final uh, escalation plan. that That is a really difficult thing. Um, and, and I think often it's why we probably don't see a lot of churches doing it because it, it is really difficult and it is really public, but we also want to be careful of that. It's kind of like the nuclear option, right? Um, you don't want to just push the red button every time that there's a small skirmish. <laughs> you want to you enact all kinds of other options first. And so I think even as a, as a community of Christians, we need to be very careful of that nuclear option option and be wise about it because um, that is a very public thing. And, and so if you're, if you're walking through a situation, uh, I would say, you know, get some godly counsel about how to pursue that um, or, or work through that before you have to hit that nuclear uh, red button issue. But most churches, the, when it comes up, is usually with somebody who's an elder or a deacon, somebody who is in um, significant uh, pastoral uh, leadership within the church and has open, open sin in their lives. And the final question here um, is just say, you know, I love, you know, it comes in and talks about, you know, the, the practicality of the text and speaking to our hearts here and said, would you say this sermon would explain why we have so many different denominations? And I, I, I think, I think, yeah, at some level, right. We talked, I joked about, you know, why, why our carpet is red and it is actually a Byzantine era tradition and not a, it's not a biblical prescription, right? There's nowhere in the Bible that tells us that carpet and church has to be red, but it actually comes out of the Byzantine era where they were, where red was to symbolize the color of royalty at that time and the, the blood of Christ and the atonement. And so out of wonderful, pure motives, the Byzantine church says, hey, red tapestries all around because it reminds us of Jesus's love and sacrifice for us. And then people made, you know, the, the, the what, the form more important than the why or the ethos and all of a sudden, we've got churches splitting because the carpet is the wrong shade of red, right? Um, and I think, honestly, I think you know, other, other than that, there are genuine there are genuine splits post Reformation, especially, uh, of theological things, where we say, you know what, I really I really see it this way. You know, we've got we've got Wesley, we've got Calvin, we've got Luther, we've got Zwingli, you've got you know all of these guys, and and you're going. Um, they're seeing things slightly differently and they're choosing, in some sense, you know, uh, the, the the fallout hasn't always been great, but they're choosing in some sense to say, you know, we're going to agree to disagree and we're just going to move forward for the greater mission. And I think part of that is why we have so many different denominations, but unfortunately now why we have so many different churches sometimes is actually because churches split over issues of preference not over issues of theology or over issues of doctrine or we made an issue of preference equal to an issue of doctrine right we made the red carpet well you're theologically unsound because you don't have the red right the, the right red carpet or you got rid of the organ so you're you know you don't actually take worship seriously, um, or, or whatever it would be, right? I mean, just think of, think of those arguments that have come up. We've made the form more important than the, than the mission. And, and and we've made things that aren't doctrinal or theological issues. We've, we've elevated them to become, to become theological issues. And so I think, you know, when you think about church splits or, or those kind of things, it's actually should, should sadden us that, uh, that a lot of that probably has come out of, um, just unhealthy you know broken people doing broken things uh, but not really for legitimate reasons you know what i mean and, and so we can we can look at the doctrinal splits and go okay yeah i get it you Calvin, uh, you you really lean heavy into the predestination language of Paul, and then and then we've got Arminius who's trying to explain you know the, the Holy Spirit is the hound of heaven John 14, 6, this Paracletos work these crying out right and you go okay you guys are still on the same team <laughs> you know you've got hound of heaven and and prevenient grace you're just seeing it slightly differently and you're you're willing to just go in these in those directions and just and really um, you know not to be in conflict with one another but then. The, the followers uh, of those of those theological tradition, traditions often pit themselves against one another and, we, and we, we just we elevate and escalate secondary things to primary things and it just causes all kinds of all kinds of mess but i think uh, as this question asks is this probably why we have so many denominations And yeah the answer is partly yes it is um, but at the end of the day i think you know what i love here in this conversation is, is that we are to be spurred on to be people of peace and so whether that means we're we're reexamining we have a chance to reexamine our Biblical convictions, and to make sure that they're not more influenced by culture, so that we can then uh, be gracious and speak to, and and be winsome with our neighbors that are wrestling with hard things, or or, or whether we it just it, it spurs us on to endure patiently with one another, um, or, or to finally address something with a brother or sister, where we go, we gotta we gotta work this through, and 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 really we gotta figure out what the main issue is, um, you know, the ability to walk in peaceful conflict resolution is such a different picture in the church, or should be such a different picture of life in the church than it is of life outside the church. And it really is, a, I think I said it this morning, but is a, is a chance for us to shine the light of Jesus, that he makes a substantial difference in our lives. So again, I love these questions. Great questions to chew on uh, in, con- in the context of Acts chapter 15 and 16, 1 through, one through 5 here. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll meet you here again next Sunday as we continue to chew on God's word together. Uh, as we, uh, as we want it to shape our hearts and our minds, and to ultimately inform the way that we live. See you then.